leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Sciences doesn't fit easily into conceptions of drug companies, venture capital firms, or accelerators. It's building highly focused drug development companies around promising undervalued assets at licenses. In five years' time, it's raised more than $3 billion, amassed a broad pipeline of more than 35 therapies, and has more than 800 employees. We spoke to Eric Venker. Chief Operating Officer of Roy Vant, about the company's business model, how it leverages its resources, and how it may be changing the industry's approach to drug development. Eric, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. We're going to talk about drug development, the challenges of doing it cost-effectively, and Roy Vant's model. Let's start with the challenges of drug development, though. What are the problems that Royvant is seeking to address? Sure. Um, I think principally, if we focus on drug development here for a minute, the biggest problem I think Royvant is addressing is one of capital deployment efficiency in terms of how money is spent uh, through the process of drug development and what the end user, and by that I mean patients, prescribers, the healthcare system on the whole, get out of that capital deployment. I think there's robust literature around the cost of developing a drug and taking a product through the early stages of development all the way through to the market. That is definitely, you know, a piece of it, I think, but, but that's a symptom of, I would say, a larger structural issue that is at the heart of what underlies the sort of traditional large pharmaceutical companies that do a lot of drug development. I think we tackle that structure more holistically from you know, a business model standpoint in terms of how we have set up our business model to, to sort of attack a few key, what I think we believe are um, just poorly set up structures throughout the, the process of drug development. I'm, I'm happy to go into some of those, but that is what I would say is at the heart of it, and that Rosent is solving some of those man-made problems that arise um, from the process of drug development today, while many of the companies that we launch, what we call Vance, are, are solving the more scientific problems in terms of taking those products through the development and commercialization. Well, well take us through that. How, how does the business model address those challenges? Yeah, sure. So I think the I'll sort of name what I think some of the biggest 
challenges are specifically, and then we can talk about each one. So we're talking about capital efficiency uh, in terms of deploying capital efficiently. I think the application of technology is also something that has not been uh, robustly done in total in terms of the drug development and commercialization process. I think there is a fundamental misalignment of incentives often in the traditional drug development model. And then I would say from a talent standpoint as well, we focus on this in a unique way, but I think that the best and brightest uh, young people coming into the workforce are not, at least today, traditionally attracted to uh, drug development, drug commercialization, bringing healthcare products to market. They tend to gravitate toward financial industry, um, consulting services, uh, high-end academia perhaps, um, things like that, technology sector for sure. So, so I think each of those, so, so kind of going one by one, I would say our model is set up in a way that, you know, truly is, is centered on company creation. So at the Rosent level, I would say we are you know, truly a company creation vehicle focused on, number one, let's talk about aligning incentives. Uh, I think by building these small, nimble companies that have a single or a small number of projects at their core for an independent management team and, you know, a group of leaders allocated to that project and that company, we are able to have great expectations and set great goals for them at that event and reward them for the success of the work that they do. And also with our sort of unique talent, mobility approach here, reward them for getting to the truth, even when the truth is that it's a failed drug development program and that, and that the molecule did not work in terms of having the clinical efficacy or the safety uh, that we you know, might have thought it did before. And so that's very important. I think that's you know, different if you think about a more traditional large company that might have business units like a cardiovascular unit or an oncology unit where a decade-long strong run from the oncology unit is you know, uniformly um, celebrated across that business. And the people across the business, no matter what unit they're in, are participating in that upside as well. So cardiovascular business head may be seeing the praises of the oncology business head as, as that great success is tied to his own uh, financial gain. The, the caveat to that, of course, is that then the, the cardiovascular business, which may have suffered in that same 10-year stretch, the oncology business head is, um, you know, not, not feeling the, the downturn of that by any means, but is, but of course, not, not feeling any upside that might have been created either. So it's sort of, a, you know, keep your job alive, keep your programs alive, keep the paychecks coming in, as opposed to truly feeling like you have ownership over a single or a small number of projects that your own sort of destiny are tied to in many ways. It, it so seems to me that that's potentially the one one downside of the model in that people may have so much invested in a single asset that they don't kill it as quickly as maybe they should. How do you avoid that? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I think in early days we – we thought about that a lot, and now that we have so many companies, it's it's really important to think about clearly Rivent is incentivized for each of the vans independently to be 
wildly successful. That, of course, makes sense as we're a large owner of all of those companies. But, but you're right to point out how do we solve for the inverse of that in that we want the Vance to be not only incentivized for Rovins to be successful, but also incentivized to get to uh, sort of the truth, whether it be good or bad from that drug standpoint. The easy answer, I would say, in the way that we most directly focus on this is by really promoting a culture of talent mobility here, which we've demonstrated several times over the last few years. But a good example, I would say, is something like, let's take one of our companies, which is my event. It's a public company out of San Francisco that's, you know, really from the ground up and built in the more traditional Rivent way. Lynn Seeley is the CEO there. She's employee number one, uh, you know, wants the company now about four years ago or so. She's built the company up. It has now over 100 employees. I think today it's worth over a billion dollars on the market. Lynn is an example of somebody who has really modeled well how to build a development stage biotech from the ground up. She set up five phase three studies on her own, the, the first of those, which we'll read out over the summer. No matter the outcome of those studies, in the positive, of course, Lynn will continue on and the company will be great and successful and they'll launch a product. In the negative case, I think we look back and say, with, with, with confidence and an appreciation at the work that Lynn did, and we cycle her back to Roivent in the event that the company, my event, doesn't have a path forward, given that it is a two-asset company, it may still have its own path forward, but if it doesn't have a path forward, bring Lynn back to the sort of top co at Roivent and think about where we can redeploy her. And the way we're going with our business model today, it's easy to do that because we always have another company, another Vant building or in build mode and, and ready for a leader to be tacked onto it. So I think with, with that commitment to talent mobility, we can with confidence say to our leaders, you know, the science is, is really where the heart of this is. A great CEO can't make a drug work that just doesn't work. And so if you get to that answer quickly on budget, um, you know, in line with what the expectations were that lay out, we'd be thrilled to have you come back and be a leader elsewhere in the family of our companies. Perhaps we should take a, a step back for listeners who aren't familiar with Roy Vanth. Can, can you describe what it is today in terms of subsidiary companies, money raised, drugs in development? Yes, of course. That's good framing. So Rivent is now just celebrated our fifth anniversary. Actually, last night we had a little, little get-together. So five years of, of life here. We have built 16 vans across that whole family of companies, including Rivent here. We have over 800 employees. We have more than 35 different therapies in development, as well as multiple healthcare technologies that are generating revenue today. To, to sort of get to this point in time, we've raised over $3 billion of capital to pursue this mission. The pipeline I alluded to that has over 35 programs in it is you know, constituted by multiple gene therapies, RNA therapeutics, biologics, regenerative medicines, drug device combination, topicals, oral small molecules. We have sort of the whole gamut. And from a therapeutic area standpoint, 
really are agnostic. Uh, to date, we have women's health, rare disease, neurodegenerative and neuromuscular disease, cardiometabolic, urology, medical derm, respiratory disease, immunology, hematology. Um, maybe most, you know, the one sort of outlying that we don't yet have that everyone else seems to is oncology, actually. Um, but that's a pretty good high level, I think, of where is the business that by, and how we got here. Is that coincidental or is that intentional that you're outside of oncology? Yeah, that's a good question. It goes a little bit to some of our strategy and how we approach things. Certainly, you know, it's not intentional by design that we are not in oncology. I think one of the tenets that we follow for finding value for, for patients and prescribers and the system is around finding areas that tend to be underinvested in relative to the medical need. And oncology, while I think everyone agrees is a huge unmet need, has huge investment from many, many parties. And so that doesn't mean it's off of our list in terms of areas that we hunt to find good molecules to bring in. But it does mean that the value proposition needs to be unique in a little bit of a different way and truly uh, ringing a value. But if you think about our list of therapeutic areas, for example, women's health is one where you know very, very strong amount of unmet need and just a really de minimis amount of investment. Same goes for cardiometabolic, things like diabetes, huge unmet need, I think, underinvested. And that tends to be a common theme around which we deploy our capital. I'd argue that Royvent is fairly unique. How do you think of it? Is it at more like an investment fund, an accelerator, or is it a drug development firm at its heart? That's a good question. I guess among those choices, I, I probably wouldn't wouldn't select one. I think at our core, at least today, and I think over the last couple of years and where I expect this to stay, really I think about Royvent as a company creation vehicle. Um, I think, you know, the uniqueness around that from a standpoint of how do we compare to venture capital and, and other types of business models that that use that, I think we have, you know, now a very unique model built for long-term societal value. I think we have no, no part of our model where we're incentivized or really benefit in the long term by generating quick IPOs and exiting the way that some venture firms almost need to do by their constraints around the investments that they the capital they've raised from limited partners, et cetera. So I think for us, we're a company creation vehicle at heart and one that really is focused on maintaining a large ownership of those companies for many years to participate in, you know, the value and the upside of delivering real meaningful value to society as a whole over, over many years to come. One of the things I, I find interesting about Royvent is its leadership. The executives on the team have backgrounds in finance and, and come from big pharma. You're a physician who came out of a large hospital staff. No one seems to come out of the type of entrepreneurial drug development world the company seeks to replicate. Why is that? It's a good question. I think that, <clears throat> I think that, excuse me, I think in terms of leadership at the level of the Vant, if it's a, if it's a biotechnology company in particular, 
I'd say we have pulled from relatively traditional uh, entrepreneurial drug developing spaces. I would point to people like Bill Simmons, who's the CEO of one of our companies, Altavant. He was at Gilead uh, and was involved in the development of Savaldi. I think Rochelle, who is our CEO at Enzivant, um, comes from uh, the drug development space. She was a, an SVP at Alexion. You know, Lynn Celia I alluded to was the CMO of Medivation. So at the Vant level, I think we have, you know, pulled from some places that, that people are familiar with. But you're right at Roivent, it's different. I think the way, you know, we, we are at the top toe here is, um, you know, very sort of unique pool of, of people that have come together out of different interests, different backgrounds, different skill sets. But I, I think runs along a common thread again with our view on talent. I think we we believe that there are very, very gifted, smart and capable people who go toward very interesting and different career paths and traditionally have not come to the arena of healthcare, company creation, biotech, etc. And and we have pulled together a, a group of people that have come from different backgrounds but share, I think, high integrity, incredible work ethic and and great intellect and creativity. And with those those common um, attributes, I think that from the different lenses through which they can see the world and their own experiences, like you mentioned, I'm coming from the world of clinical medicine. We have people who come from nonprofits and government. We have people from hedge funds. We have people um, from academia. Those different sets of experience combined with those common attributes are a perfect breeding ground for creativity, entrepreneurial behavior, solving problems that, you know, people thought were sort of uncrackable. And so it's that unique combination, I think, of very different points of view that naturally spark contrarian questions and attitudes and, and approaches that ultimately are more likely to sort of create entropy and, and come up with interesting solutions to some of the most interesting problems we face. How successful Royvant is in the long run may depend largely on how good it is at selecting the drugs it chooses to develop. What's the process Royvant goes through in making a decision to in-license a drug? Are there parameters you seek in terms of indication or, or markets? You, you said you were agnostic to modality. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question to spend a couple of minutes on. So really our, our only focus and only limitation is, is value. And so, you know, while people may not believe that it's easy to find value in diabetes or easy to find value in, in dementia, we may agree with that, um, but are interested in hunting all the more than to find where that small carrot of value might be. So short of that, I would say we'll go after any therapeutic area, any modality, any you know, route of administration, any type of, of molecular asset, any type of technology. But you're right. I think squarely, at least today, with 16 vans in our family, uh, 14 of those being biotechnology companies, or at least principally biotechnology companies, the success of Rivet hinges on those being stocked with well-selected drugs and therapies. But but the future of Rivent, at least in the medium term, also hinges on continuing to select molecules that are you know likely to be uh, successful and be able to be marketed. Um, 
So the way we do that is, is pretty unique, actually. Uh, we have, early in our life as a company, invested in something we call the Drugome, which is basically uh, a proprietary um, piece of technology that's kind of built from the ground up that scours the universe of drug development, all assets that are out there, and allows us to look at those, identify everything by molecule, target, disease indication. Um, it enables us to conduct a centralized due diligence, optimize our asset selection, and inform a bespoke development strategy that for us is often really informative around our interest in an asset. I would say, you know, Roivent very, very traditionally as we select assets, we ascribe value to an asset that our counterparty might not or, or does not because we have come up with a unique or creative way to think about developing that product you know, whether that be a unique indication selection or a more creative regulatory strategy that allows, you know, whether the, the trial to be run faster or more, more inexpensively, something like that. But, but the Drogome is the tool that is the backbone around that uh, diligence process. And I think it, it truly does allow us, for, for lack of a better description, I would say, to get closer to what we believe is the truth about an asset, and as we think about that value, I think there are many times that what we believe is the truth about an asset and its value, there's an asymmetry uh, compared to what our counterparties may may value it at, and so so that's a pretty important tenet of it. I would say, you know, the other piece is that we have a team here that is fully multidisciplinary across, again, those different backgrounds and skill sets some with deep drug development expertise and regulatory experience, but also commercialization, um, you know, coming from the world of hedge funds where they're really viewing things from an investor mindset. We have physicians here who think about things totally independently of development and commercialization and the likelihood of regulatory success, but rather are focused on, is this something I want to have in my toolkit at the bedside as I try to take care of patients? And so, that team plus the technology approach is, is uh, I think, what, what differentiates us, and I am confident will end up being, uh, as you said, telling about the success of Rivent as it, as it pertains to selecting assets in a high-quality way. Once you take on an asset, how do you go about building a team around it? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think that talent is something that, I mean, everyone thinks talent is important. I would argue that that we think it's really important. You know, if you think about company creation sort of at its core, no matter where you're doing it, whether you're doing it, you know, in, in railroad or energy or, or biotech or healthcare, you need three steady ingredients at all times. You need an idea, some kind of innovation. You need the capital to fund that idea. And then you need a person, at least a person to run it. Um, so, you know, those are the three pillars. I think we are laser focused on each of them. Uh, not just, you know, in the people arena, many, many companies, I think, tend to be reactive about having the people be the last piece of the puzzle, which is only natural. I think, you know, you raise money, you have an idea, you raise money around it, and then if all that comes together, then you think about who, who should we put in charge of this and, and how can we run it. I would say 
for us, at the rate of growth we have launching so many new companies so quickly, with so many new companies in the pipeline, we need to be more proactive about that and thinking, what are the molecules that our teams are even looking at and thinking about diligencing? How can we line up with that? Early conversations with people who have, you know, good experience in that space or maybe interested in jumping into a new venture with us. And, and that has led us to, you know, again, going back to applying technology in a unique and interesting way, build out what we can then call the people loam as opposed to the drug loam, which is our sort of, again, internally ground up built database of talent around the world of biotech, healthcare, um, investors, anyone that might be valuable to our mission. And, you know, we have just a steady pulse on what those people are capable of, what experiences they've had, and allows us to ask a question like, if we were going to launch a gene therapy company focused on sickle cell disease that has a program that has been dosed in a patient, who could be very good as a CEO or a CTO of that company, go to this internal database and ask in a pretty simple query to get a list of names and have information about what our relationship to those people is. Have we spoken to them recently? How can we get in touch with them? You know, what are they currently doing and, and what gaps might they have that we need to fill before bringing them in? So I think it's, like most things at Royvent, it's pretty systematic, it's pretty tactical, but but it's layered on top of a strategy that's focused on building those companies very quickly and efficiently. How do you go about financing these subsidiaries, and what's the level of funding you seek to provide? Yeah, so capital is a, a, is a really important thing, too, obviously. Um, you know, this varies quite a bit. I think company creation for us is very bespoke, company by company. So there's no sort of cookie-cutter answer that we go through. I mentioned we have 16 companies today in our in our family of companies. You know, there are the majority of those are held privately. Uh, most of those wholly owned by us, but some of the majority owned. We do take companies public as well, and we have several public companies in our family that we've taken out to the public markets. I think it depends. You know, biotechnology, is, as I'm sure you're well aware, is a very capital-intensive um, business, right? Taking a product all the way through to commercialization is a big capital lift, which is why so many biotechs end up being acquired by large pharma or, or selling assets to large pharma who have that infrastructure and that capital available to them to, to take those products through to commercialization and have a track record of doing so. For us, we're interested in the whole, whole part of the model here is participating in the upside of end to end product launch and having the upside be there for us when we start to sell these products on the actual market. So the capital needs are different for every company, but we will go to private investors. We'll go to the public markets. We generally follow, you know, standard practices around capital raising in, in any business, but in biotech in particular, it's make sure you, you know, raise the capital you need to, to get new or more information or hit some inflection point where you're going to have another decision point to make um, about the molecule of the program and and make sure we're set up to, again, make those clean decisions around what's best for the molecule and best for um, the, the system on the whole from a healthcare standpoint. But but I'd say the, the short answer is that 
we finance them creatively and from any and all pools of capital for the most part where it makes sense from a, a value standpoint for, for the whole system. You talked a little about the way you share expertise between the different subsidiaries, but what's the opportunity for both leveraging expertise and, and leveraging technology between these companies? That's a great question, and I think we can talk about something that's unique to Rivent, specifically with technology as it pertains to sort of allowing for synergies to be captured. So we have something at Rivent called Digital Innovation, which is uh, a team here of not exactly computer scientists, not exactly engineers, but people who are sort of doing skills and understanding business needs, but also have the capabilities of building uh, bespoke technological solutions to business problems. And we have those digital innovators, we call them, those are the people that comprise that team, embedded throughout the Vance. So, you know, my event has two digital innovators in, in San Francisco. We have a digital innovator at Envant in Cambridge. We have a digital innovator at Eurovant in California. So they're in those businesses feeling the problems and the stress and the strain that come with developing uh, a drug. And they build solutions to their, their problems uh, and help those businesses solve them in a you know, new and again bespoke, not not vendored out, but truly built for purpose. And they do that building on a common platform. Remember, those are Rovent digital innovators. They are paid by Rovent. Doesn't come out of the capital that's allocated to those companies. And on the common platform at Rovent, the data architecture, the development operations layer that is common thread across those digital innovators, they build on that platform so that they can at all times look back to the central node of technology that's been built and and see for themselves how that might apply to their own company, their own Vance efforts, and not have to duplicate efforts and, you know, repeat uh, valuable work that's already been done. I think that has time and again proved valuable for these companies and that it's a, a great way to harness the synergies across a central digital innovation platform um, and that's the tech part. I would say the other the other pieces of expertise and, you know, how do you make sure that if somebody learns something really valuable from a regulatory standpoint, from, you know, a commercial standpoint at one of the companies, how is it not lost? I would say candidly that the way to do that is, is a little bit more manual, more vanilla than, than a fancy tech solution. I think we just maintain good relationships with our businesses. I think one of my jobs as chief operating officer is to be a central node of communication between all of our companies, having, you know, good relationships with the executives at those companies and being in regular contact with them, understanding the challenges, the the wins all along the way and making sure that we have a steady pulse on what other companies are facing and how we may be able to make sure that they're positioned well to take the learnings from one part of the family and apply it to their own business. When Vivek Ramaswamy founded the company, there were bold pronouncements about the way this would ultimately change the drug industry. Do you think Royvant is going to change the drug industry? And, and if so, how? Yeah, I would say that I think it has changed it already, but, but that I think it's going to change it uh, much more. I would say how has it changed it already is that it's, it's forced people to 
ask questions that they just hadn't been asking. This is laying bare that new approaches, innovative ideas about structures of companies, about ways to finance new company launch, ways to approach and engage with regulators, way to apply technology and new talent. It's, it's making everybody ask, should we be doing that too? Is there a better way to do that? Which is, you know, what healthcare has needed for so long is just smart, motivated people to be curious about how we can change and improve what we're doing. So I think it has had that impact, which is no small feat and I think is, is a testament to the work that's been done. I think on the go forward, though, there's much more impact that we are yet to, to make. And, and I think it's going to come in, in a whole host of, of ways. But to keep it relatively simple for now, I think that, you know, fundamentally, every part of bringing value to the healthcare system, and that is, you know, the delivery of care inside a hospital, the provision of care in a clinic, the administration of a medicine, the, you know, picking up of a prescription from a pharmacy, all of these pieces, how you get insurance, I think all of that whole delivery system, at least in this country, and I would argue globally as well, is pretty broken. I don't think there's much disagreement about that. And I think what Rivent has set its sight on is to fix that and to address those breakages, even if one by one with the, with the view toward the whole, and again, by asking why and how and, and pushing things that people have not pushed on for a long time, asking how we can do that differently and approaching it with unique uh, and innovative ideas is going to transform all of those different areas in the same way that already, I think, drug development and, and seem to be drug commercialization has been um, changed already today by what we're doing. So I think there's a lot yet to come, but it's going to be in, in sort of more transformative ways than, than even a single simple thing like improving drug development by reducing the cost of bringing a product to market. And I think it's going to be much more broadly focused on how we deliver care to, to patients across the board. Eric Vemker, Chief Operating Officer of Royvent. Eric, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.